I said, okay, Jenny and my inner CFO, I get that you're afraid and you're allowed to be afraid. Who wouldn't be? Career is tied to our fundamental needs and ability to provide for ourselves. At least then at the same time, why don't I at least ask, what if the opposite happened? What if not only did I not go broke, what if I earned twice as much in half the time? Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Ted McLean, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Jenny Blake, author and podcaster of Free Time and Pivot, and the author that is kind of present in every conversation I had for the last two weeks. Welcome to Looks Like Work. I am so honored. Thank you so much for having me, Hedva. It's just really a thrill. I love the name of your show. Thank you so much. I am not exaggerating. Every single conversation I've had with a business owner, whether they're a service provider, you know, an owner of a delightfully tiny team, like you uh, like to say, or a CEO of like hundreds or tens of employees, you've come up and especially your new book, Free Time. So before I start fangirling all over the time that we have, can you share with our listeners a little bit about what you do and why you do it? Sure. First of all, I'm so honored and I know the feeling we said before we hit record (laughs) that I'm always so awkward with my own podcast guests, fangirling, and I can't help myself, but that's the big secret of podcasting is that we get to interview our heroes and it's so fun because books come to life. Like It's such a joy to read a book and then you actually get an hour one-on-one with the author to ask any question you want. It's such a secret life hack, I feel. It's the best. It's (laughs) It's really the best. Yeah. So that's one of the activities I do is I have two podcasts. One is called Free Time. The other one goes with my previous book, Pivot, that came out in 2016. And then now they make a good sandwich, like Free Time and Pivot. (laughs) Or or maybe you pivot into Free Time. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I love helping people navigate change. Pivot was really about figuring out what's next and how to Mm. get more agile in our own lives. It was pre-pandemic, but just as relevant now. And free time is how do we optimize what's here now? How do we get ourselves out of the busy work so we can do more of our best work? And that's really my obsession. Yes, leisure time, time at the beach, time with your family and being fully present in time off. But also when we are working, how do we hone in on the things that we are uniquely skilled at, that we uniquely enjoy and expand the amount of time we can spend on that where we have full choice and freedom and flow? and then automate or systematize or delegate or completely eliminate the rest. I love that. And I love in your book how you you kind of package it so beautifully, do or delegate it next. And that's like, oh, it's so practical. Um, 
Yes. But every I, chapter ends with permission to drop something or do something differently. Cause I find a lot of, a lot of us need someone else to say, just stop doing that. <laughs> you know, so or, true. I stopped so, doing so that true. and my life didn't end, or I thought about this differently and then do or delegate this next is I didn't even want to give readers homework. Like you don't even have to do anything. Actually the ninja level <laughs> black belt level is <laughs> it's like, don't delegate. do it. <laughs> All the ideas you get from this book, don't do any of them. Then you're really putting the principles into practice. Amazing. I'm really curious and you do talk about it, but I would love to hear you elaborate on that. So I know for me, a lot of the things that you speak about, some of them, I still don't give myself permission to do. And I've kind of been like, like furiously writing notes to myself. And some of them, I only got to giving myself that that permission after I experienced something that kind of, you know, made me pivot, like you say, um, What was it for you that finally kind of made you think, hey, something something needs to change, or I just deserve to live differently or to work differently? I'm curious. Can you share any of the ones that are still edgy for you? Sure. Um, So I think for me, so I was a CEO and co-founder of a tech startup. And I was, as our listeners know, I was also like a very underrepresented founder. So I felt like I needed to do things, you know, twice as hard to get to half half the results. And I was very, I would say almost addicted to resilience and to working hard. And for me, it was kind of a combination of just getting autoimmune diseases that are often caused from stress and the pandemic that really made me re-examine things. And a lot of, I think what I pivoted into was hiring people to help me, but also giving myself permission to not take on projects that I'm not interested in, or that would cause me more stress than joy. And then I think some of the ones that I'm struggling with more is like letting myself have founder, like free founder time, or just like looking at, like viewing my my time as something that's my own and Mm. that I don't necessarily have to use it to be productive 100% of the time. Does that resonate? Oh yeah. Thank you for sharing. And I think so many of us can relate to where our body starts going haywire if we're working in a way that isn't sustainable. I had a lot of guilt about, oh, I'm such a wuss. Like I can't work. I'm not this hustle and grind. And every time I would try to work too hard and hustle too hard, my body would just cry, basically cry out. I would get, I had a, as you read in the book, the thyroid problem, the whole time I worked at Google. And then even as a business owner, I would come down with these crazy things like, vertigo. I can't even stand upright or I'm going to throw up or bronchitis or asthma that resurfaces. And every single time I take it as an inquiry of how am I maybe not honoring the rhythm that I need to work in, even oh, yeah. though it goes totally. very different than what other people might need. So yeah, I, I think it's so important to listen to that. And isn't that like when you have, like you go to the doctor and you have, like, I also have thyroid issues and they say like, listen, it's very it's very related to stress. And then he's like, you're just stressing me more. Like, how am I supposed to get out of this loop now that I have like even more guilt about me causing it to myself? I feel like at least in Western medicine, the doctors I've seen, nobody ever says like the, a little bit of would say stress or, or lifestyle, but they almost assume that how I work is a given. 
And then it's a question of like medicating it. My endocrinologist actually wrote like tech startup CEO in my diagnosis. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. I know. And tech culture, it is so fast paced and you're often working with really brilliant people. For me, I had to drop the story that the harder I work or the more time I spend, the better I'm going to work or the more strategic creative I'll be. I actually realized the relationship could just as easily be inverted where the fewer hours I spend, the healthier I am, the more strategic I am and the more creative. So for me, blocking out founder time, which is let's say a minimum one hour a week, but ideally two hours or an entire day that nobody can schedule over, including yourself. That's the thing we can't schedule over. But if it's just two hours recurring every week, that's your time to zoom out and and really say, this is on my calendar so I can do my best thinking and my best work. Because if you're a co-founder and you are running a business, your mind is one of the biggest assets that you have. And so for me, I don't see it as, or I stopped seeing it as something that I needed to feel guilty about or that it was like in last place once I got everything else done. I actually saw it as, this is probably the most important two hours I could spend in the business every week. And then spend an hour trying to delegate, like solve a bunch of problems and then try to delegate as much as I can. So I'm also not then implementing everything myself. That is so true. And I have to share that I just jumped off from our uh, weekly team call, (laughs) literally like 15 minutes before we started our call. And we uh, scheduled a call for this Thursday to go over everything we learned from your book, Free Time, and see what we can implement and how can I be not the person to implement it. I love that. Yes. And that's so cool to get the team's help in brainstorming as well. I love that, that you just opened up a whole discussion around it. And the thing is, that's what, as you read in the book, but my hope is that team members as well are not burdened. It's not like, oh, we have a bunch of annoying, busy work, and then let's just foist it onto the rest of the team. Right. It's actually engaging everybody in a conversation. How can we all streamline the things that nobody wants to do? What are the tasks that are energizing and joyful for one person that they could take off of someone else's plate? And just everybody is engaged in that creative problem solving around creating smarter systems so that everybody frees their mind and their time to do more of their best work. That is t- so true because I think like I really related to so so much of what you, you talk about in free time. But like you said, like I think like very much like you built your business for us, uh, we are now eight in my team, but all of us, like, except for me are doing it part-time. So some of us are like almost full-time. Some of us are like much more fractional, but I want my business rooms and wards to be the happy place of our team members. So they would look forward to working on whatever we're working on. And it wouldn't be like just, oh no, another rooms and words task, right? And I think what you say about the weaknesses and the strengths or like the things that energize us is such a big part of it. Because of course, in whatever you do, you'll have the things that are a bummer and nobody like is looking forward to doing bookkeeping, maybe except for some very specific people. But if we can kind of keep the ratio on the, the energizing side, I think that is so crucial and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you want to make it the happy place. Yeah. And, that, and then the research supports this as well, that we're five times more productive when we're in a flow state. And we find flow state at the intersection of challenge and skill. 
So you want everybody on the team to be thinking about how much challenge am I ready to take on? How much challenge do I currently have? Burnout usually comes when we have too much challenge and not enough skill or capacity to meet it. And on the other hand, boredom happens when one of your team members, let's say, has too much skill and not enough challenge. They're truly doing busy work. So So it's good to give everybody this language. So we all have leverage and just ways to talk about the work that isn't personal. That's something I also try to reinforce very often is that there's nothing personal. You can't offend me by telling me what you don't like doing in your role. I actually want to help you solve for that. (laughs) Do you feel though that it took you some time to talk to team members in a way that you weren't afraid to offend them when you kind of examine where do they really shine? Where are they in the state of flow? That's an interesting question. Because I was a coach for 10 years, I just get really curious and I I, I would reflect somebody's energy. So I might mm. say to them, so I never was worried to say it. I would say, it doesn't seem like your energy is that high around this. Is that true? Or I might be wrong, but it doesn't seem like drafting our weekly newsletter is sparking joy for you. Is that true? Or what parts of it do you like? Or I would just say, you know, we I share in the book, but we dedicate an hour to just what parts of the role energize you and what drains you more and more. And I think where a lot of people stop is they just get the first answer and then keep moving. Whereas I'll say, okay, great. We have A, B, and C. What else? What else? What else? Like, I love really that. Trying to stretch it is very out. coachy. <laughs> Yeah. And to dig to the bottom of it, like people are not going to say the thing they're afraid to say as the first thing. Oh, well, now that you mention it. So you got to get, create some psychological safety. And here we are together. We're just sorting your work into love it, meh, neutral and hate it. And, you know, I'll leave some neutral work on somebody's plate, but by the time the entire role is that they're not enjoying it, they know that I don't have to tell them. I mean, it is the elephant in the room. And then often that is when somebody might look to see if they can shift what they do within my tiny team or maybe transition out so that they can do more of what they really enjoy. Right. No, that makes so much sense. And I think the power of asking questions in so many areas of life and of business, but definitely in this part, it's so crucial. It's so powerful. And I think sometimes we already, we anticipate things and we think we already know them. So we kind of skip that part, uh, maybe even without being aware of that. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you or to kind of bring up a few of, uh, I don't know if you call them that, but to me, they were kind of mantras of yours that really made my jaw kind of drop (laughs) the first time I heard them. And I think first and foremost, uh, the one that really kind of made me stop on my tracks and literally because I listened to the audiobook um, was this one. So it says, um, earn twice in half the time with ease and joy while serving the highest good. And when I heard this one, I had to kind of go back and listen to it like Mm. at least twice more because it has so much in it. So earn twice, of course, we would all want that right in half the time that's that's the dream but then for me the core of or the like kind of the the stress of this this mantra or this sentence was in the second part with ease and joy while serving the highest good 
And I joke to myself or, or with, with my podcast producer, Amelia, that these last few episodes on Looks Like Work were all kind of permission slip, slips. So in, in different ways, permission to speak like yourself, even if your accent is not what you would like hear on mainstream media in the US. Permission to build a slow business, uh, which was actually, I interviewed Amelia because she's amazing at that. Permission to start from scratch. And here, I think the ease and joy part, the fact that, first of all, it's kind of a permission slip that you can, you can do meaningful work, valuable work, and bring lots of, of value to business, to customers, to the world, while being in the state of ease and joy is such I feel like it's so not obvious to me, but to so many other people, definitely in our day and age. And then while serving the highest good, I think like you, you call uh, businesses uh, that you address heart-based businesses, right? And I think being able to let yourself be that, but also strive to earn more and to be less burnt out and also have that is is not something that we can take like we should take it for granted but it's not something that's taken for granted or that is obvious in our culture can you tell me a little bit about how you arrived to this sentence or to this way of life or or this you know value system I love hearing you unpack it. It's it's great. And it was a really unfolded slowly piece by piece. The first part that you highlighted earned twice as much in half the time was because of a fear. I had a lot of fear-based thinking around money of just, what if I don't have enough? What if I lose it? What if things go haywire? What if my business collapses? Just what if I run out? This was my pervading thought. And it was very present when I was thinking of leaving Google. The, just the number one thing holding me back was the fear of money and not having enough. So the first part of that question came because I said, okay, Jenny and my inner CFO, I get that you're afraid and you're allowed to be afraid. Who wouldn't be? Career is tied to our fundamental needs and ability to provide for ourselves. At least then at the same time, why don't I at least ask, what if the opposite happened? What if not only did I not go broke, what if I earned twice as much in half the time? And for years, it's a very, very bold question to ask. (laughs) Speaking of asking questions. And some people might worry, my book is called Free Time. Maybe they think, well, if I work half as much, I'll earn half as much. We assume there's going to be a linear relationship and correlation. Well, if if I spend less time at work, I'll earn less money period. And for some people in some jobs, that's the case. If you're an entrepreneur, you work for yourself, it's a little different. Actually, there is no reward for hard work, no reward other than burnout. When you are running your own thing- Can, can we say be this again? Because this is so important. <laughs> like th- There is no reward for hard work except for burnout. I, I can definitely attest to that. And based on my conversations with friends and colleagues, I think it's pretty- it's an experience so so broadly shared, but so little spoken about. It, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Like if we were clocking in at a job and we got paid hourly, then maybe we'd get overtime if we work into the night. But when you run your own business, there's no guarantee that what you're working on or working into the night is going to produce any profit. 
I mean, if, if you happen to know, then sure, put in extra time on that one thing. But a lot of times there's no, we, the market is going to tell us what the market wants. Did we get our marketing copy right? Did we get the product market fit correct? Did we, uh, everything about the brand, it, it will know if it's on point or not because we'll have customers or not. That has nothing to do with how hard we worked on it. It's like, oh, I just did a big website redesign or let me use the podcast as an example because you have one. I work harder on the podcast than anything in my business. I have two shows and they earn the least money. That's okay. I'm okay with that right now. They serve different purposes, but there's just no correlation. Oh, well, if I spend more time editing, I'll earn more money from the podcast. No, it doesn't work like that. Actually, once I delegated the editing and production to someone else, then that started to free my mind and my time. Oh my God, I relate so much. Yeah. And I, I will I will I will take it a little bit further because some of our listeners aren't entrepreneurs or not full-time entrepreneurs. I feel like in know like in knowledge industries, even if you are a salaried employee, a lot of time you will also not earn more if you if you work more. Even if you do uh um you know get a, an hourly salary. People will actually look at you at the value you bring to the table rather than the hours uh, you work. Sometimes, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Sometimes in a corporate setting, you're rewarded in that if you're perceived to be working hard, then that can sometimes tip you over into promotion. Although the higher up you get, they don't want to see that you're burning out and you don't know how to delegate and you're not strategic and you don't know how to systematize your role. So it's kind of a catch-22 because if you work too hard, it's at least at Google, it was seen at a certain point as a ding. You're not balancing yourself. Yeah. You're like, well. maybe not, you're a good ex- executor, not a good, ma- not really management right. material, right? You don't know how to, like, you don't have that skill of delegation or of, you know, letting go. Right. And prioritizing. And there was a point I remember when I was at Google, I was like so many people early in their career, when am I going to get promoted? I got promoted twice really quickly in my first few years. And then as I was hitting burnout more and more often, I realized I don't care if I ever get promoted again. And I became so happy after that. I didn't care anymore. And I thought it'll take at least six months for someone to notice and start the process of firing me if they think I'm not working hard (laughs) enough. But I continued to exceed expectations on my performance reviews, which meant to me that all that happened was this shift on the inside that I stopped giving 130% and maybe I was giving 90, but it was still perceived the same way. They were both still perceived as a hundred, you know? So it's interesting, these shifts we make where we just drop some of the added stress. And usually within companies, nobody's trying to burn you out. Like my goal is to just burn out my entire team. (laughs) It happens. And the only person that can pull back from that is, is each individual to say, no, I'm putting my foot down or these are my boundaries. I'm not going to check email after 7 p.m. or 6 or 5. And usually nothing is so urgent that it crashes to the ground. I love that. So when was the point or what brought you to the other side of the sentence with ease and joy? Because for me, that was the big eye-opener. Well, I realized that earning twice as much in half the time, and that's not hypothetical. It's like proverbial. Okay, so... It doesn't mean exactly always twice as much in exactly half the time. It's kind of an open inquiry. Maybe you'll earn four times as much in a fourth of the time. So don't get Amazing. caught up on the numbers of it. It's <laughs> yeah. just, yeah, exactly. Like what if 
we continually have and have and have. However, that's still just about the money. If we're yeah, miserable, you can still be miserable, right? You can yes. make a lot of money and hate what you're doing or yeah, what so, it, or what it causes you to feel. Let's say I earn twice as much in half the time, but I'm still a stressed out, burnt out wreck and I'm terrible and I hate my work. I mean, so that part of the sentence got me through this transition of leaving Google, but it, it was not going to be the end all be all because it wasn't defining how the work was getting done. And as I say in the book, how we bake is as important as what we make. So I believe that business and services baked with ease and joy are translated into the products, into what we sell. Not everybody believes that, but I believe in the energetics that how we create, how we bake is as important as what we're making. So I, I so agree. And yeah, I want to I wanna take it to two different directions and I'll... I'll start from, well, I'm, I'm having a real <laughs> uh, trouble kind of deciding because there is so much here to explore. So, okay, I'll go with this. So first of all, I'm really curious because I've found myself, like I, I am a very, very curious person. Uh, my friend once asked me like, what would be like one word which you'll you know define yourself? And I said, curiosity. And I think curiosity is a lot about being playful and, you know, having a sense of abundance and exactly those like ease and joy that, that you talk about. But I feel the pandemic and especially the very beginning, you know, the scary part of the lockdowns and the uncertainty and the unclarity for me and for a lot of people that I know kind of pushed us, like shoved us uh, in the direction of scarcity mode and operating out of scarcity. Uh, have you felt that? Have you seen that in your work when you talk to people about working with uh, ease, ease and joy? Well, I mean, I know I think it's interesting how we each had to grapple with this. And for me, I mean, right. It, in a very real sense, all my worst fears about running a business came true and worse than I ever imagined they would. So the pandemic hit during my 11th year in business. And I never thought that all my speaking gigs would get canceled two years into the future. I always thought if there was a recession, things would go down, but it would not. I never anticipated that within a two-week span, everything would be canceled practically for the next two years, save with a couple of virtual events here and there. And this has been one of my main sources of income. It was the most abundant source of income. And it definitely carried all the other activities I was doing, like writing, podcasting, running my private community. So that's a very real sense of like for me a hundred at least a hundred grand got wiped off the table in a two week span. It's as you said it's incredible. It's like I I I remember like listening to that part and I couldn't relate more. And it's right. really not something you anticipate because it's not like a wave that comes and goes, right? Yeah. It's like and I was relatively fortunate because at least I could keep working from home. At least I did have other streams of income. So all hope was not lost, but you're right. It catapulted us into, I always take these things as what am I meant to learn? What am I meant to do differently? And in terms of scarcity and abundance, I mean, there was a, a month of roller coaster. but what can I do? I can't change what's happening. I can change how I respond. And I, what I ended up doing was doubling down on my private community. And then also taking that really, I call it when the financial tides recede. I have an episode of that on my show. I take that as an opportunity to go deep into the creative cave. Oh, the financial tides have receded. It must be time for me to dive in and create something new. 
And so I wrote Free Time in 2021 after rebounding from the really tough year of 2020. It was my first real investing year in the business where I purposely didn't earn very much and I purposely spent a ton of money to (laughs) pivot into a new direction emboldened by the pandemic, which I think is what you were getting at. Yeah. So I I couldn't relate more. And I love what you're saying, kind of took it as a sign to get closer to yourself and to your business. For me, it was, I was already extremely burnt out uh, by the time the first lockdown happened. Uh, But that was kind of the last straw that, that made me uh, have to decide to, um, to shut down my, my, my startup, my tech startup. And it was, also, a very, and I think you also discuss uh, this in the book uh, to some extent. It was very, very scary, but also it mm. makes you ask a lot of questions about your identity, especially if your whole 100% of your time is wrapped around what mm. you do, then your identity is wrapped around that too. And it was very shocking, but it did make me start this business just two months later with that state of abundance in mind and that state of like ease and joy, even though I didn't use those words internally in mind and say like this time I'll, I'll, I'll build it differently. Mm -hmm. And did you have, how long had you been running that business and did you have people? Yeah, that was the really Mm -hmm. hard part. So I've been running it from 2015 we were on the verge. We were supposed to raise $3 million in March, 2020. <laughs> and I was oh undergoing some steroid t- treatment for my thyroid. It was like very, very physically hard time, but I was like, kind of don't burn out, bur- don't burn out. Like in just a few weeks, you're going to close this huge, like investment round and then everything will be okay. <laughs> and you know how you write in the book, which is one of my, also my favorite <laughs> kind of notes that I took to myself. You said decisions are data and indecisions are data too. And I feel like I was in that space of indecision just because I wasn't I didn't have the have the courage to say, "Hey, like this is an amazing business idea. We have really, really happy clients, uh, but it's not like I'm not well. I'm completely mm. burnt out, and something needs to change quick." And then the pandemic was horrible to many people in, in many senses, but to me in that sense. But also, mm. it did catalyze me to. It made the decision for me, so to speak. Yeah. And in hindsight, it did make me ask myself questions that I wasn't bold enough to ask myself. That is so fascinating. And isn't it crazy how you were going to get this investment in March of 2020? And I was yeah. also about to land one of the bigger clients that I had ever landed in March of 2020. They were supposed to sign the contract. And then it's like, I just wonder, maybe... It wasn't meant to be. I mean, clearly yeah. it wasn't because it just got wiped off the table. I was like, like literally came back home from from the West Coast in um, February, and I was supposed to go on on like a flight back on March 18th. Like it doesn't get more literal than that. I can't believe it. Wow. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I, I think it did help me to uh, like get much closer 
to yeah. myself. I know I I want to be conscious of our time here, and we have so much to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to have a follow up, just a friend and I discussing all that we've learned from free time. And I really, really encourage our listeners to check out your podcast and your book. I really enjoyed the audio version on Audible. I thought it was so personal and it was really, it was like almost like having a conversation oh, with you, you in my head. Um, I want to explore before we jump off uh, just this, uh, another like great tidbit of yours, which is more companies die of indigestion than starvation. I don't remember who you're quoting when you're saying that. But Bill can you- Hewlett. Yeah. yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit before we jump off? Yeah, I can't take any credit for this line, but it's pointing out two things. Sometimes the company can die of starvation. You don't have enough cash flow. You don't have enough clients or you're not pricing high enough. I always say most business owners need to 3x their prices to account for time, team, and taxes. The time you're spending in the business, especially if you're delivering services, your team to support you and taxes. That said, so we don't want to we don't want to have the business die of starvation. And that's that creative inquiry. How can I earn twice as much half the time with joy and ease? On the other hand, are you ready for a big break or would your business break? And that's a question I've been asking myself for many, many years as well. Am I even ready for a big break? Am I ready energetically? Am I ready with my systems? Am I ready with my services and products and offerings so that if I did land some crazy thing, like in addition to being on your podcast, I was on Oprah's podcast, you know, am I even ready? (laughs) Would I be able to support that big of a wave hitting my business if I had, and it also helps me brainstorm how to deliver the services that I do in a more streamlined way. So if I have a hundred community members, what if I had a thousand? Would I do anything differently? Would I need to adapt how I'm operating? And if so, even if I don't have a thousand, I can still take that thought exercise and spruce up how I'm currently delivering things to make them more efficient. This is such an important prompt, I think, for all of us to ask ourselves. And by the way, business owners mostly, but I think people in general in our work just Am I ready for everything that I want and that I dream of? And and am I do I, is it is it actually a dream of mine, or do I maybe actually prefer in order to have that ease and joy to do something in a smaller scale? That's also completely relevant and completely mm-hmm. okay, right? If we're talking right. about permission slips, and like in your case, maybe you're not meant to have three million dollars of venture money. That you're accountable for. I don't know if you took venture funding for your current operation. Oh no, thankfully not. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Maybe that would have been not a great structure for you and you wouldn't have enjoyed that setup. Totally. Jenny, thank you so much for your time and for your book and for everything that you do. Anywhere or anything that where you want to point our listeners to? Well, it's such a joy to be here. A huge thanks for having me and Tuligran, who put us in touch. She was so wonderful. She did the best She's product the best. overview on Amazon, yes, where she's flipping through the book. And oh my gosh, she was featured. She has, uh, shared her mess page tip on the free time podcast. So you oh, can that subscribe. was such a good tip. I listened yeah, to it. I know. Yeah. I loved it too. You can listen and subscribe wherever you're listening, you listening to this podcast, or you can go to pod.link slash free time. And then the book website and everything else, if you want to access the free free time toolkit, that's at itsfreetime.com slash toolkit. 
Yeah, I was also going to say, if you're reading the book, don't miss the toolkit. It is so, so good. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us at Looks Like Work. I can't wait to dive into it even more with my team. Really appreciate you and everything that you do. Well, I'm smiling ear to ear. Thank you for all these great questions and for bringing this conversation to life in the way that you have. That is so special. And I know that you and your team are going to just infuse even more life and ideas than I have into it. Thank you so much. And big thanks to everybody who's been here listening. Thank you. Thanks again, Hedva. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course, the episode show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an end.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week and I share thoughts, links, books, and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com and I really hope to see you there and of course to see you here next week. Have a good one.